Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC. This episode is dropping slightly earlier in your feeds than you might have expected, but that's because this week is the Europa League final. We've got a special episode previewing that game between Sevilla and Roma, which will take place in Budapest. It's all very exciting, very, very exciting. And my name is Jack Collins. I'll be your host today, talking about my favourite competition in the entire world. I'm joined by the rank god, Mr Sam Tai. How are you doing, mate? Yes, very well. Thank you, mate. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to you about Europa League football. Uh, I rely on you just as much as our listeners do uh, and those in world football because I tend to play a bit of football on Thursdays, don't I? And then catch the rest of it in the pub afterwards. Whereas you're sat there with your, your notebook, your six screens, furiously scribbling, analysing, scouting. Uh, got the data on one side. 
got the footage on the other. Uh, you do a great job. You do a great service Thanks to us me. all. And I'm looking forward to hearing from you today. Yeah, no, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Later on in this episode, we're going to be talking to some experts from either team. We've got John Solano, Italian football journalist and editor of AS Roma Press, talking to us about three reasons why Roma will win the competition. And David Cartledge of ESPN FC and the Football Rambles on the Continent talking to us about Sevilla and their expectations and reasons why they will win the league. So we'll look at this uh, under both of those spotlights. But before we do so, Sam, I, I think probably it's best to just maybe get a bit more of a general sense of where these two are. Yeah, and I think that the right person to do that is you, mate. So I think we should flip the script a little bit here. You're the, the world's leading uh, foremost authority on the Europa League. So rather than you ask me the question, how did Sevilla get here? How did Roma get here? I'm going to ask you the same question and uh, I'd like you to start with Sevilla, please, because they're technically the home side, although that obviously doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I think that I don't know how that actually works out, but I do think that Sevilla should be allowed to be the home side in inverted commas in any sort of Europa League <laughs> tie that they play, just yeah. out of like respect, like yeah, begrudging respect. It. Exactly. It's like Real Madrid, they should always be home side in, in, in the Champions <laughs> League. Um, Sevilla, let's be quite frank, we're quite lucky to get here because... Their campaign started in the Champions League, where they were drawn in Group G uh, alongside Manchester City, Borussia Dortmund and Copenhagen. They got absolutely slammed first game by Man City. It feels so long ago, that, doesn't it? 6th of September, yeah. it was. Crazy. They lost 4-0. Haaland scored twice. Uh, shock, horror. Foden <laughs> scored. Diaz scored. They were absolutely fundamentally dismembered by Manchester City in the pith one as well, out at home. And you're looking at this going, oh... That doesn't look good. You know, Lepetki is still in charge at, at this point of this severe season. They've gone through three managers this season. None of them, well, the first two really didn't work out. And Mendilibar has come in and, and really turned the ship around and righted, righted a lot of the wrongs that had gone on in, in this severe season. They went then went to Copenhagen and played at Parkham and they drew nil-nil. I think it was their first clean sheet of the season. They were incredibly lucky to come out of this game with a point. Now, they didn't create anything. I remember watching this game and being like, oh, Sevilla have lost all of their attacking spark. Weirdly, their best player this night was Isco. And that, that feels like ages ago as well, Goodness doesn't it? Me. Like, Are you sure we're in the right season? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it does feel like that, doesn't it? But, you know, Copenhagen were just lacking a little bit of that cutting edge. Um, then they went, you know, Borussia Dortmund came to the pith one and hammered them 4-1. And things were looking very, very uncomfortable. Now, at this point, Sevilla were languishing in the relegation places in La Liga. Most people at, you know, this is September, October, were like, okay, they'll sort themselves out. They'll claw themselves out of it. They didn't for a long, long time. Now they have now. They're going to probably finish in the top half in La Liga. But at the time, it was like, wow, Sevilla are actually in real trouble. And I remember watching that league and going, Sevilla and Valencia are down the bottom of it. That is not comfortable viewing. Yeah, they were bottom three for like a good four months weren't they? It was, it was an uncomfortable amount of time if you are severe. And obviously this is a team where we're so accustomed to watching challenging at the sharp end of European trophy, uh, European competitions and, and winning trophies. You know, they, they tend to get to the final and they, they tend to win it. So as a result of that, you know, they tend to finish top six. They've been consistently challenging. I mean, it really wasn't very long ago that, you know, 10% of people might have said there could be a title a title challenge on here from Sevilla. They were maybe the next best placed team, even ahead of Atletico Madrid a couple of years ago, to challenge Real Madrid and Barcelona for a title. I don't think anyone realistically expected that, but this was back in the Jules Kunde era. They had Diego Carlos. 
Fernando in his prime and they were a very, very good team. And so to see them drop to 19th and really play like they belonged in 19th for a good half season was pretty worrying. And it definitely leaked into the Champions League campaign. They did not win any of their first four games. They did beat Copenhagen 3-0 in the fifth Champions League game. And along with two draws, that was the thing that managed to claw them in to European football on the other side of the World Cup into the Europa League, wasn't it? That one win did it. Well, actually, uh, you know, you kind of talk about that. And and there are a couple of big things, I think, here, because the next match week, they went to Dortmund and scrapped out a draw. Now, again, they were very lucky to come out with anything. Dortmund battered them in this game. And it it did feel like Sevilla had had clung on for a point. At the same point, Copenhagen were clinging on for a point against City. And it was like, Mm. if Dortmund score here... Copenhagen will go above Sevilla in this thing. And I I wonder where that leaves them as they come into clash with each other next week at the fifth one. As it was, you know, Sevilla stayed in third in the group and then, you know, basically compounded that by the fact that they won 3-0 against Copenhagen. It was one of their first really good performances of the season, that. Uh, and it was a massive one in the context of where we are now because this the week after they went to City. They took the lead, actually, but they eventually lost 3-1. And Copenhagen very nearly beat Dortmund. It was it was one of those very strange ones at Parkin where Dortmund went ahead, Torgan Hazard scored. Like, what? Oh, my God. He doesn't play Remember for them him? anymore. He doesn't play for them anymore. Exactly. And, and you kind of look at all the, the different bits of it, and you're thinking, Copenhagen score there, and Sevilla haven't got that point at, at Dortmund. Things are looking very different. And, and I think that a lot of people would have looked at this and been, they were lucky is maybe a stretch, considering they won 3-0 against Copenhagen. But they... They left this a lot tighter than they would have expected and hoped in terms of at least being the third best side in this group. And, yeah, but this know, was just this is just instinct kicking in, wasn't it? You know, they they saw an opportunity, they sensed a chance to slip into the Europa League and thought, we'll be taking that. Thank you very much. This is our competition. Yeah, absolutely. And look, so then they went into the, the knockout round for the, the Europa League. They played PSV Eindhoven in that round. And I think a lot of us were expecting PSV to come out and, and be really impressive. Seville were unbelievable in this first leg. They won 3-0 at the Pithuan. And it was like, okay, right, Seville have reached Europa League and suddenly they've, they've found form. Fine, no worries. No, everyone's everyone's chilling. This was still in the San Paolo era, right? So look at that and going, okay, fine. And then they went to Eindhoven and made it really, really uncomfortable with themselves. They lost 2-0. Now, you know, the second goal of these was in the 95th minute. But it was it was one-way traffic. And PSV mm. at the end were really, really upset about it. I remember watching them and it was real heady and hands They missed an absolute shed load of chances to make this game interesting. And it look at this. This, right this is clearly a theme, right? If you look through these these results that they've put together for the, the the back half of the European campaign. 3-0 at home to PSV, then went and lost away. 2-0 at home to Fenerbahce in the next game, and then they lost 1-0 away. And of course, they go to Old Trafford, which we can come to in full. They draw at Old Trafford and then win 3-0 at home. So it's actually up until the point where they reached the semi-final against Juventus, it's three straight home clean sheets against PSV, Fenerbahce and Man United. Often the first leg comes at home. They do enough. And then they hang on for dear life in the second and do just enough to qualify. It's always been squeaky, except for that second leg against Man United. But this is it. So the the kind of strange bit about this is that that aggregate score, 5-2 to Sevilla against United, looks massive. It looks like a comprehensive victory. But until the 84th minute of the first leg, Sevilla weren't in the tie at all. 
Mm. It was absolutely one-way traffic. United had them exactly where they want them. After 20 minutes, Sabitzer had scored a brace. United were 2-0 up. They should have scored more. Anthony hit the post. You know, they had a couple of, of big opportunities squandered. Veghorst somehow tried to shoot when he or somehow laid it off for Terrell Malassia when he had the goal at his mercy. There was loads about this. You were like, United should have been 4-0 up after the first leg. Instead, two own goals, it's two all, and Sevilla took full advantage. Now, look, they might have gone and hammered United at the pith one anyway, but they shouldn't have been in the tie. And then mm. to go and absolutely dispatch them in the way that they did... Yeah, it's was... the David De Gea error game as well, isn't it? Which has been made so much of. It's 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 one of the most notable points of Man United season, and it's Sevilla coming out the right side of it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But I mean, look, that second leg, very, very impressive. One of the the moments I think of the season, and definitely Sevilla's best moment of the season mm. so far, at the very least. They then went into this tie against Juventus. They were brilliant in the first leg in Turin, um, and didn't deserve to come away not having won that tie, I didn't think. Uh, Juventus scored in the 97th minute with Federico Gatti. But mostly, I, I thought Sevilla were very good value for that. The second leg was tighter and more of an you know more of a sort of weird basketball game in many ways. Tighter in, in, in not in terms of how the game played out, but actually in terms of that both teams had loads and loads and loads of chances. And, you know, Juve took the lead and you're going, okay, how does Sevilla come I must come say, I thought this? when Vlavic took the lead there, I... I... I thought this game was finished. 65 mm. minutes on the clock and he and he gives them the lead in that game, in that game setting. I thought this this finally is it for Sevilla. But somehow they found they found it again, didn't they? They found a way. They found a way. And and that's what they've done in this competition. And they find themselves in a Europa League final once again. Fun fact, uh, Sevilla, once they've got through the quarterfinals of a well, they've got through the quarterfinals of the Europa League, they've gone on to win it every single time. Hmm. <laughs> That bodes well. Does bode for, well for, for Sevilla. Sevilla at the very not least. for Roma. Not for Roma. <laughs> let's talk about Roma, shall we? Yeah, let's talk about Roma. I mean, they've been in the Europa League the entire time, which is usually uh, a good sign because nine of the last eleven winners started in the competition. The problem is that the outliers in this are Sevilla. <laughs> mm, yes, that's the problem, isn't it? And I think Roma have been really put through the mill here. We could talk about it in a little bit more detail, but just as a a cursory glance at the fixture list for those that don't know. They landed in a group with Real Betis, which mm. makes it tough. The other two opponents, not so much, but they actually they lost the opening game of this yeah. group against Ludogorets. It was not a good result. and Especially because they equalised, right? It was 1-0 to Ludogorets so in weird, Bulgaria. Wasn't it? They equalised in the 86th minute, and then Ludogorets just literally went down the other side and, and scored a winner. Ludogorets, um, my favourite my favorite name in football because it's an anagram yes. of good result. It is so, indeed. Uh, look, I mean, look. When, so obviously, you expect Roma and Real Betis to qualify from this group. When, but but not only that, you expect Roma to absolutely hammer Ludogorets and HJK, who are from Finland. Hmm. And it didn't necessarily play out like this. I mean, they they beat HJK three 0 at home, fine. But the other results and the other games were a bit more difficult. They conceded in to Ludogorets in both games, lost one of them, conceded to HJK away. These are the sorts of games that unfairly or unfairly on paper, as a football fan, you look and go 4-0 to Roma, guaranteed. And three of the four of them were absolutely nothing like that. Yeah, 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 100%. And, and to be honest, Betis went to the Olympico and won, and then they held them in Seville. So mm. you're looking at that and thinking, well, Betis won this group. It meant that they went straight to the round of 16. Roma had to go through the playoffs. But 
Roma were a bit iffy in the group mm. stages of uh, of the Europa League and and in a way that I don't think anybody was expecting to. And you look at the goal scorers from across this, right, sure, Shomorodov scores at, at Ludogratz. But, you know, this is Dybala, it's Pellegrini. Belotti played a fair bit in, in the group stages, which has been a slight downside on, on Roma's campaign. But, you know, Abraham scores against HJK. It's, these are not secondary bit part players. These were Roma sides who were put out to win. And I think yeah. that was the most terrifying part of it. It wasn't like, okay, Roma have gone to Ludogorets, thrown a second string 11 out there and hope for the best. This was a good Roma side that should have been beating Ludogorets. Now, Ludogorets probably are a better side than people give them credit for. I, I will give them that. But still, this is, <laughs> Come on, this guys. is it's not the same. These, these levels are very different. And, and that's, you know, it, it's important. Yeah. Roma had to go to, you know, they had to beat, they didn't have to go to, they had to have Ludogorets at the Olympico on the last day. And they were on the same points. They were both on seven points on that final day. And you're like, okay, mm-hmm. what's going to happen here? And then Ludogorets took the lead. Like, there were there were these moments. Yes, Roma bounced back. Fine, they got two penalties. Pellegrini scored them both. Zaniola put some gloss on it. But at one point, you were looking at it going, mm, don't, I don't like that at all. Like, I, yeah. I really don't like how this is playing out. But it's, uh, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because we always, whenever we, we, we come out of the groups and we try to you know, maybe try to project, okay, well, who do you think is going to go all the way? And we, we try to use the group stage often as a barometer for performance. Yeah. And both of these two clubs that we're talking about here, Sevilla and Roma, are both screaming at us, ignore the groups, it doesn't matter, because neither of them did particularly well in the first half of the year here, particularly in European competition, but they've made it all the way through this gauntlet. And from Roma's perspective, the cost of not winning the group, I mean, in the end, it's okay, they've got to the, they've got to the final. But let's be honest... When they get to that playoff, they get to the playoff and they draw, they draw Salzburg and you're like, uh oh, right? That's really concerning. 100%. And I think that, you know, it played out. Look, Roma were the better side in Salzburg, I thought, and they lost to an 88th minute winner from RB. So it was, it was a bit of a tricky one to kind of deal with in, in that regard. They turned it around at home in the second leg. This then became their theme. Right. So the next round, they drew Real Sociedad. They won at home and they were excellent, to be fair, that day as well. And then they went to San Sebastian and weren't excellent, but they kept a clean sheet. And suddenly you're starting to see the Mourinho grind. And out of nowhere, it's like, okay, we're starting to see what Roma can do from a defensive point of view. They kept Real Sociedad at bay, didn't let them score over two legs. You know, they then went to to Feyenoord. They lost 1 0 in the first leg. They turned it around after extra time in a very mm. strange game. In the, they missed a penalty in the first leg, didn't they? Um, they did, but it wasn't a penalty. a really good chance. It wasn't a penalty. Off. So it was one of those ones where you're like, okay, I, I don't mind you missing that because it shouldn't have been a penalty. In the first <laughs> yeah, justice. <laughs> but, you know, then they, they sort of, they tie up the tie. Spinazzola scores, quite a scrappy goal in against Feyenoord. And then Paishao drops in. You're like, oh, okay, 80th minute. They're really struggling. Dybala turns it on as a wonderful goal. And to be fair, in extra time, Roma see it through. They but, run riot in extra time, don't they? Because it just breaks open with that, that goal. Yeah. The the goal broke final. The Dybala, you know, one to send it to extra time just broke final hearts. You could see it. Yeah. And they never recovered from that. And then, you know, the the kind of flip of this is you get to the semi-final. They got Bayer Leverkusen. This is a Leverkusen side on the up under Xavi Alonso. They've been playing some really good football. And Roma just stifled them for two legs. Now, secondarily, in, in the second leg, and... I'm sure John will talk about this later on in, in the Roma segment, so I'm not going to go into it in too much detail. But just to win 1-0 at home and then be like, eh, 
you ain't getting past us is the most Mourinho move of all time. And I was very impressed. It wasn't fun. But <laughs> it was like, imagine what it was like for Roma through. fans, buddy, watching that. I mean, imagine that what it was like for the... Leverkusen fans. It must have been the most frustrating experience on earth. It was frustrating for me, and I, I had no real horse in the race. I was like, yeah. wow, this is this but is it's frustrating or it's terrifying. Neither are nice feelings. <laughs> no one had a good time that night except Jose Mourinho. <laughs> well, but Jose Mourinho had a good time, and that's the thing that matters, isn't it? That's the thing that matters. Um, so that's how they both got here to the final. And, and with that, I think we should probably try and move it on to our interviews we're going to start with Roma and John Solano and then we're going to move to David Cartledge to talk about Sevilla Welcome back to Ranks FC where I'm delighted to say that we are now joined by the first of our special guests representing Roma in this Europa League final we have Italian football journalist and editor of AS Roma Press John Solano John thank you so much for coming on Ranks FC Thank you for having me. No, very excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited too. I'm very excited. To, and I'm very excited about seeing Roma in another European final. Sam and I were lucky enough to be out there in Tirana last year and had the most amazing time. <laughs> and so uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing if Roma can, can make this back-to-back European trophies. Yeah, we're not going this year, unfortunately. Uh, we've had our fun, haven't we? But uh, we did have a wonderful time last time around. Uh, so well, at least you made it there. My flight got stuck in Zurich for the final, so I watched it in a Swiss airport. So I'm glad. Oh uh, man! At least two, two, two of the three of us got to enjoy it. <laughs> well, that's it. You, so that's all that matters. It should have been me and you, John. Get rid of Jack. Yeah, that's, <laughs> hey, that's okay. That, that's okay. This time around, though. Yeah, this time we'll, you'll be there. We'll, you you can yeah, even yeah, the score we'll, this time around. Yeah, we'll see if they can make up for it. Yeah, we absolutely. absolutely. So, John, you're going to walk us through three reasons why Roma can win this final. Um, I'm sure that you know, people have seen much of, of Roma's season this year. But, you know, this is this is a side that started well, fallen off a tad in, in the last couple of weeks in terms of their Serie A form. But it does feel like when it comes to these type of competitions that Jose Mourinho just seems to get the job done. Yeah, I mean, what what you described uh, in the recent league form, uh, really, that is a metaphor of Roma for 20 years, uh, more or less. Uh, they <laughs> they just seem to really lack the longevity when it comes to Serie A. Jose Mourinho has been saying this from, uh, from the instant he arrived about the lack of depth and really... And it's hard to disagree with him when he says this, that, that they just do not have the depth to do to competitions, so so you have to prioritize, and I I don't I don't really think you can argue with his approach uh, to no. European finals in a row. Uh, one of the club's first European trophy in uh, in his first season, and I don't care if it's an inaugural competition in the third tier of uh, the European competitions. Uh, a trophy is a trophy, and Rome have lost in far easier competitions. So the complaining and and. Making a criticism of that, in my opinion, is short-sighted. But yeah, I, I mean, it has been a very, as it has for everybody, of course, with the World Cup, it's been a very awkward season. They, For all of the highs that they have had, they seem to negate any sort of uh, goodwill that they build up with everybody. They'll, they'll beat Inter at, at San Siro and then, I don't know, lose to or, or drop points to Sassuolo at home. It's, a, it's, it's very weird. Very, very weird. And I... I think ultimately that is the consequence of what he says. I, I they just don't have the depth of a of a 
Inter, of Juve. Uh, I mean, if you if you look at the teams that lack the depth, um, Roma have gone farther than them in, in Europe. Uh, and it does seem like, at least for the Italian clubs, that they've had to choose. Uh, are, you, are, are you going to focus on the league or are you going to focus on Europe? Uh, we see what Napoli did. Can't argue with that. Uh, we see what... I won't say Inter focused on Europe. Uh, they focused on cups. That's what. They yeah, talk. it's I, more than one cup. Yeah, Inzaghi. It's hard to to know. I, I, you can tell to me, Inzaghi is then is uh, closer to Pep, or you could tell me he's. I, I, I don't know. Um, we can think of so many terrible Italian managers, Malisani or something. <laughs> I, I, and I would be able to believe you either way. You would be able to convince me he's the best or the worst. I, I cannot, for having watched this guy for so long, I, I still cannot put my finger on as to whether or not he is actually a good manager. <laughs> it's very it's very weird to me. Well, he keeps um, winning trophies, and that is the name of the game. Right, right. So so we we will see um, how all three Italian teams – that. That is something uh, because everybody, particularly Senia fans, uh, they love to mention the coefficient for some reason, and uh, it's hard to argue with the uh, with the approach that the Italian clubs have had in Champions League, uh, Europa League, Conference League. Yeah. Uh, very eager to see Fiorentina. Um, I don't know how they'll fare against it. David uh, David Moyes West Ham. I, <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a very clash of uh, it's the of ultimate styles. culture clash this one absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah um yeah. it's it's west ham it's, it's it's about as pure premier league bread and butter as you can get with your scottish manager <laughs> against uh beautiful beautiful florence and fiorentina but uh look you say italian clubs have had to prioritize and clearly jose Mourinho has prioritized european competition Fortunately, that's Definitely. the one that we're talking about today. Otherwise, I'd feel a little bit silly. Um, so can you give us the the three reasons, three to one? We'll go one by one as to why you think Roma can win it. Okay, let's let's do it. So number three, and in my opinion, I don't think this can be discounted, but I think the fact that the experience that they have in this competition coming back in difficult moments, I, I think that cannot be understated. So... If we just want to simplify number three reason, I will say the mentality. Okay. Uh, Jose Mourinho has really brought a different air to him, a different, uh, just a different, I hate the word swag, but but just a different approach and the attitude. We are so used to, used to at Roma. It, it, it is quite often an attitude of woe is me. Uh, quite, uh. quite often we're, you know, at Roma, very much used to being the bridesmaid. Uh, instead of the bride, there's always this sort of inferiority complex that that you know, you Milan Inter that that you're 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 just not you're not at that top with them. So there always has been this ingrained underdog mentality. It, it's very it's very weird. It, it's 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 almost like afraid to embrace uh, the ability. And, and that is something that Jose Mourinho has completely and entirely flipped on its head. Um, the first one to come in here and say, no, it's Roma. You are a capital uh, club in one of the biggest leagues in Europe. You're going to do well. We need to do well. We are going to win things. 
hard to argue uh, with those words that he said. It did seem like a pipe dream when he decided to come here to, to begin with. Uh, very uh, unforeseen, uh, unforeseen circumstance, uh, just because they were close to, to going with Saturday. They had met with Saturday and then to see Mourinho come, it, it was quite the shock. Uh, but I think the biggest thing, and you 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 can't argue with it. Um, I mean, I, you just compare him to a few years ago. Yeah, Roma in the Champions League final, they faced Liverpool. But I I listen and I look at the way Jose Mourinho speaks and I compare it to, the, this is a name from only just five years ago, but Eusebio Di Francesco. I, I mean, it is like watching a, a, a guy with you know, the, the highest level of charisma versus a guy who is so, uh, you know, timid and scared to, to even say the wrong thing in a press conference. I mean, their attitudes are just, it's night and day. It's incomparable. Um, and I think Roma, before all else, they have needed that. You, I mean, you could find millions of interviews. Uh, I, I mean, Fabio Capello, he never misses a chance anytime he's on camera. When he's asked about Roma, he talks about the, the environment, the attitude, how they did. The supporters don't know how to win in the city, and to an extent, that is true. However, however, uh, I would say too, a lot of that it, it has been incompetence at various levels. But the the biggest thing that Jose Mourinho done has embraced the the challenge that comes with playing in this very very difficult environment that I think is only behind Madrid in terms of expectation. Um, but you you can make the case expectations relative to where they should be they're never in in accordance but uh, this this level of confidence that he has brought it's been a very welcome change it's actually been incredibly weird to see very weird and you guys know Jose Mourinho too the the thing i find fascinating of him is he will play and embrace that that confidence that mentality but then he knows how to flip it in the opportune times where he says, oh, well, we, you know, this is Juventus. We're, we're nowhere near the level of them. They, you know, they should beat us uh, every single time. This is Inter. Oh, my gosh. Milan, they're the defending champions. We have no chance. Um, he'll do that at the most perfect time. I mean, he's he's very masterful with the mind games. But I, but I think just in general, the mentality that he has brought. And if you look at their path that they have taken to get to this moment, I mean, they come back and they win. Uh, they win away in Spain to Real Sociedad. They defeat uh, Feyenoord again in a very, very, very difficult away environment. And then what they pulled off in Germany <laughs> without, uh, without I, I mean, the number of guys they've been missing during this path. Chris Molling, he has been there uh, sparingly. Paulo Dybala, the guy that was... You know, the, the face of the summer project, this new project, uh, has been injured off and on uh, really these past few months. And they, he has been able to get these results missing their most important pieces. Tammy Abraham not being able to really find the form that he had last season. I mean, he goes to Germany and use whatever words you want to to describe. You don't even have to have watched the match. Just just go on to Yahoo, uh, Google. Oh yeah, I've seen what Devin Lye has said. I've seen what Nadim Amiri has said about yeah, the approach, whether or not it's football would be the question <laughs> I think the German sides would raise. <laughs> uh, right. Um, particularly in that, in that second leg, uh, I, I 
believe Bayer ended with 26 shots to Roma's one. Mm -hmm. uh, possession uh, 80 to 20. Mm -hmm. I know that uh, I know this sort of approach, it's probably going to be a bit more embraced perhaps in Serie A versus like the Premier League. I mean, I, mean, I can only imagine some of the comments um, that the guy would have gotten. I personally love it because I'm sick. I get, I, I, I suppose um, I'm very sick. <laughs> well, do you want to win I enjoy or not? That kind is, the, of is the question, really? Well, that's the question that Mourinho always poses, right? It, this is right, it. It's like, right. It doesn't matter how you win. I think there's a famous quote from Mourinho. Where he said, there's a lot of poets in football, but poets don't win many trophies. Yeah. And I mean, it's quite antithesis yes. to like my personal beliefs on football, but I do love <laughs> Mourinho when he's in these, when Mourinho's not that. in the Premier yeah. League, I love Mourinho. <laughs> that's my, that's my big he's, line he's on the fantastic. whole Yeah. I, I mean, you can label it whatever you want. I, I mean, I, time is, is a very odd thing, but I still remember incredibly vividly his ink debt against Bayern. I, I mean, if anybody remembers that one, yep. I, that one, I'm not going to say what Roma did was an exact replica of it because I'm in no way going to compare, uh, you know, uh, the likes of Gianluca Mancini to, 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 to Lucio or something. I'm not going to <laughs> compare the players, but the approach was the same. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, I, I think it's as simple as this. Uh, Buyer over two legs, zero goals. Uh, punto e basta. I, I, I don't know what else you need to <laughs> to say. Uh, you can complain of the approach, but ultimately, uh, when it was uh, teacher versus master, Javi Alonso versus Jose Mourinho, I, I thought I thought he put on a tactical masterclass. I, I I have to say, I know no, I know very few will enjoy it, but the mentality he installed in in, in this team to. You have a one to zero aggregate lead. We are going to go to Germany and and make it very clear that we're just we're, we're shutting up shop. Make them beat us, and they didn't. So I, yeah, it's hard to argue with that, in my opinion. Yeah, you raised the question, and and if they can't answer it, then that's uh, very much them. And uh, I think right. you're absolutely right. And Roma fans will have enjoyed it, which is the one thing Mourinho says that he always needs. You know, that's the, they're the people he's trying to impress. <laughs> uh, but with that, let's exactly. move on to number two, shall we, John? Okay, so number two is the injuries so roma have been hammered by injuries throughout the entire year however in this moment for this one-off match i i think they are going to get or get about as close as you can get to a fully healthy side uh, Mourinho has been saying paolo dibala i'm not confident i'm not uh, uh, i'm not hopeful he will be there I think he's going to be there. He was going to be called up this past weekend uh, to get some minutes into his legs. They decided against it. Smalling, he goes, well, I don't know if he's going to be there for the final. He ends up playing this weekend. So I think if if they have those two, I, I, it really does change things. Now, I, again, if you're not watching Roma, you're going to hear Chris Smalling. Uh, how does that change things? Uh, if you haven't watched him at Roma, I... I I, I can't stress enough how incredible uh, he has been. And he is about to uh, become a free agent. I think he's going to sign a renewal with Roma. That should be announced relatively soon. But uh, Juve wanted him. Inter wanted, wanted him. He's been superb for Roma. If, if he is there and healthy, and if you get Apollo Dybala for even half an hour, a, 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 a top, Paulo Dybala with that, carrying no injuries. I, I think that really does change the entire fixture because if we're just looking at both of these teams, if if you just want to pick out the singular 
best player between the two sides. Obviously, I'm biased, but uh, I I would say that is probably Paulo Dybala yes. uh, with everybody being I think that's completely fair. Given yeah, that yeah. Sevilla's yeah. side is mostly made up of Argentinians anyway and Dybala's the best Argentinian of the lot, I think that makes sense, mate. Mm. I think it does. That's a good point. Um, and look, Smalling has been incredible. You know, centre of the defence, middle of the back three, commanding, uh, dominating the box, superb in that low block, superb in what basically Jose Mourinho wants him to do. Right. If you can, if you can keep games tight like that, and if you can, if you can put on that kind of defensive masterclass in a final, basically keep your end clean. As they did in Tirana, right? I was about to say, you 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 were in Tirana. That's what they did. It's the same thing. And then what you're asking for is one moment, one moment of quality up front. And that's exactly what they did in Tirana anyway, because it was Nico Zaniolo who just managed to come up with the moment. Now, Dybala was not a Roma player back then, and Zaniolo is not now. But it's very easy to see a situation where you've got a very similar pattern of play, and Dybala steps into Zaniolo's shoes and and does the same thing. I I can see it. Yeah, I mean, I've said it before and I'll yeah. say it one more time that Jesus be- built his church in Rome on St. Peter. Well, it's Chris, but <laughs> Jose Mourinho be- he built his church in Rome on Chris Smalling. And that's something that I will die. That's yes. a hill I will die on. Um, you know, to just to f- complete the biblical reference. Right. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's. I, I, I don't know if I have heard that one. I'm I'm going to steal that, just so you know. No worries. <laughs> I, I enjoy yours. that one. Okay. It's all yours. All right, cool. That takes us nicely on to number one then. Please, John. You have just said it. It's Jose Mourinho. If you had your choice, you're in the supermarket, and you can pick any of uh, any of the uh, any of the fruits in front of you. Okay, you you had to pick one in Jose Mourinho in a one-off match in a final a yeah. final match, one game you have to win. Who are you going to pick? Jose Mourinho. I. I uh, the guy just finds a way. He finds a way to do it, and he does it in different. Uh, the he can do it with in different ways. Yes, I know that they they won away at Bayer, and it, as we just said, the way they won at Tirana. But if you just watch them throughout this season, some of their biggest games, uh, it's not the ones uh, where they're scoring just one goal. They come back against Milan. They draw two to two. Uh, again, they beat Inter at uh, in Milano. I think they scored three in that match. They can play in different ways when they need to. And, and that, I think, is the biggest uh, sort of ace up the sleeve of Roma. You don't know, you don't know what they are going to do um, because it, it's very different to see. But they feel comfortable, in my opinion, playing in both of these ways if they need to sit back they're okay with that if they need to go out and get some goals Mourinho just flips on the switch and they're able to do it ultimately that is what the most frustrating part of this team is you just look at you know in these moments where they they need to get goals or they need to defend against I don't, I don't know Sassuolo Bologna these these teams where they just seem to trip up but yet they managed to do it on the European stage, particularly away from Rome. And you, you're mind blown that they can't sustain this over the long term. It's, I, I guess it's the blessing and the curse. I, I don't know of Roma, but when it just comes to these one-off matches, a final, I, I if you had to stake your flag into one single manager, uh, whether or not you like the guy, 
I don't know if there are many people that you would choose above Jose Mourinho. And I think ultimately that is the thing that could tip this fixture. And I, I, I'm just hard pressed to think of no matter who, if this was uh, Sassuolo, if this was Bologna, if this was Genoa, whoever this was, if it was managed by Jose Mourinho, I, I would pick them because the guy just, he, he finds a way to pull the rabbit out of the hat. And, I, I don't. The fact I'm even remotely confident coming into this, I guess, is a testament to the guy himself because it's Roma. I always just expect the worst. But I, I you look at what they have done this season. You look at what they have done, particularly in Europe. I, I don't want to say toss aside the league because obviously that's a much uh, higher uh, uh, sample size. But in these European tournaments, he has been outstanding um and i don't really think it says more than the fact that before he comes uh to roma zero european trophies uh he comes to roma in his first two years one european trophy and a chance to the second uh i'm not going to argue with anything that he has done no i can imagine i mean look this is Mourinho's sixth european final the last player to score against any of Mourinho's teams in a European final was Henrik Larsson for Celtic in May 2003. He has gone wow. full four, four full finals without conceding okay. a goal. That is I nuts. I did not know that. That's nuts. That no one does that. That's over. Obviously, Henrik it's five, five years over two decades. Celtic. Yeah. What was that? Is that Celtic Porto? Celtic Porto. Yeah. Yeah. In 03. the UEFA oh, Cup final in 03. Like, that is some record. Yeah, and Absolutely. you just called it the UEFA Cup. I mean, even that if you don't want to look up how long it's been, I mean, the fact it's the UEFA Cup, uh, look no further than that. But yeah, no. yeah. See, it's now hot. you gave now you just put more confidence into my head. Now I'm if this doesn't end up good, um, you can come well, back for me. Jeff. I don't know. I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing in my Google aggregator later an uh, article from the R Roma Press. Which is the, <laughs> the, the stunning statistic you didn't know that points to Roma victory, and it's going to be written well, by they, you. It's absolutely <laughs> coming. I mean, I, 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 all of this material, even the, the quote of the Saint, the the, the Saint Peter building, uh, building his church on Chris Moyne. I mean, that is. Uh, I just I will give you full credit but for, <laughs> for all of the appearances I'm going to have to do in the in the lead up and and after I I just want you to know I am taking that that you, is you are more than I'm welcome like a tattooed on my arm <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's incredible on that note John thank you so much for coming on today can you just Absolutely. let the listeners know where they can find you uh, you can find me at AS Roma Press or at uh, Solano underscore five six and romapress.net that is that is where you can find us perfect well thank you so much and best of luck out there john i hope i do really hope yes thank you guys way. thank you welcome back to ranks fc i'm delighted to say that we're joined by our second special guest representing severe this time around mr david carlidge old friend of the pod espn fc editor Football ramble special guest on On the Continent. What man, what does this man not do? Uh, David, it's great to have you back, mate. Nice to join you guys. I tell you what, I was so close to wearing a Betty shirt for this, but I thought I better not. <laughs> <laughs> You've given the red and white stripe of, uh, of yeah, River yeah, Plate. Yeah. It's at least the right colours. Um, yeah, I mean, look, this is a great final, I think, David. And it's one of those where you look at it and you think, yeah, that's it feels, it feels Europa League, but it feels 
good. It feels comfortable. And I, I'm really, really excited for this matchup. Just kind of generally, it feels like Sevilla have come through the ringer this season and come out the other side of it. Now, obviously, from the other side of, of the city's perspective, that's not as pretty as perhaps it would have been if they were lounging in the bottom three. But it is impressive what Mendilibar has done with this severe side. Oh, un- unbelievable. Uh, we're talking, you know, season changing, season turning. Um, I think Sevilla made some mistakes prior, um, you know, last summer and what have you, but it's almost like he's he's corrected them. Um, he's corrected them all and he's... He's got them on a nice track now, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a funny one because there were question marks when when he came in. And I think you're, you're looking at it and going, right, this is a man who is known for playing a pretty aggressive direct full 4-2. It's not pretty all of the time. And a lot of the malaise, I suppose, around Sevilla with, with Lepetegui and, and then also, you know, with what came afterwards was that it wasn't the right way of football. And so when the results weren't coming people started to turn very quickly. And then I was like, wow, you've appointed another manager who doesn't play nice football. It's, it's an interesting one. Yep. It's kind of worked. Yeah, it really, really has. And, and like you touched on, I think Sevilla are one of those clubs, I think, and there's a few of them about that are very much accustomed to playing uh, this high-energy, fluid, nice, attractive passing football. I think it started many, many years ago with Juan de Ramos, if you, if you remember him, you know, and the, the great old Sevilla teams used to play... It was a very English brand of football in terms, you know, it was classic 4-4-2, up and down, up and down, a bit like Sir Alex Ferguson used to play with Manning Ayed. But my word, it was high energy, high attacking, and, and uh, there were some lovely players in those teams, you know, your, your Caters, your uh, Canutes, you know, like all of those type of players from that era were, were incredible for them. Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's get into these reasons. Why can Sevilla win the Europa League? It feels like a redundant question in so many ways, isn't it? Like, why can Sevilla win the Europa League? Because they do it all the time. <laughs> um, but uh, I'll let you work through these reasons three to one, David. Yeah, yeah. Number one, number three uh, for me is uh, their style of football. Um, I think if we look past, uh, you know, if we'd looked at Mourinho in Europe over the years, he's relished playing a side that is the complete opposite to how he wants to play football and how he wants a team to set up. So these nice little nifty passing sides. So we, t- we take a look at the final last year with Feyenoord. Mm. Feyenoord wanted to get the ball on the floor, play around Seve- uh, play around Roma, sorry, um, and, and, and just do their thing. And, and Mourinho was like, right, I'm going to relish stopping this. I don't even care if we play our football. I just want to stop this. This is great for me. But the thing is, he comes up against Sevilla, who aren't, you know, Mandela's approach isn't too dissimilar. He's, he's gritty. Um, he will dig in. He's not bothered about the fancy stuff. He's not about, bothered about the fluff. He wants to get that ball out wide. He wants to whip some crosses in. He wants to be some tough tackling in as well. And I think Mourinho is going to look at that and just be a bit like, oh, okay, okay. So that's that's reason number three for me. Yeah, so um, competition of no one wants the ball. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really selling this. I, I promise you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really, really selling this. Um, oh. Yeah, and number two, Really, it, it, it's kind of linked. I'm almost cheating a bit here, but yeah, the, the Mendilabar factor. Look, um, what he what he has done at Sevilla since he came in, um, he's turned everything around. Got the players back to, and you know, this is a very old adage, an old cliche thing, but he's got them back to basics. He's got them doing the simple things first. And I know that sounds very, you know, old school English sort of way, but sometimes it's required. Sometimes it's needed because Sevilla's season was. It was getting on the verge of madcap under Sam Pauli, as, as you'd expect to do under Sam Pauli. Um, and it was very much going that way. And they brought Mendilibar in. Fans weren't happy. Uh, a lot of the media weren't happy as well. They were like, oh, this is very Sevilla-like. I mean, fine, if Mendilibar's at a, an Ibar or a team like that, I can understand it, but not Sevilla. But he's come in, 
Um, he's got everybody working and people can see the work ethic there and, and just the way the players have, have risen to that. A bit of fight. And uh, as, as we know, Andalusians like that in their teams. They want a bit of fight. They want a bit of scratching. They want a bit of scraping. Um, and, and, and that's what it's about. So that's my second reason. David, obviously, they've all they've all improved, haven't they, under Mendilibar? The team performance, sure, but basically all of the individuals. But can you pick out for us the particular players that have really risen to the fore here and managed to put in the performances that have led to not only getting to this point and defeating a team like Juventus in the semi-final, which I think even with Sevilla's reputation, we weren't necessarily expecting, but has lifted them out of the mire in La Liga. And as I look at the table right now, they are ninth. I mean, that might change later uh, as we record, but they are a mid-table team and they were desperate straights beforehand. So who's really stepped up? I think in times of strife, you you do look to your most experienced players. You do look to the ones you, you know who who everybody should be looking to in the dressing room. And I genuinely think even Rakitic has had a, a new lease of life. Um, he's the sort of player you want to look to. And look, when he left Barcelona, like sorry, that last year Barcelona was it was almost catastrophic. People were like, oh my god, this this guy's finished. Jeez, he's going to end up in you know MLS, Saudi Arabia, or wherever like that, you know. But he's had a new lease of life. Energy. Again, he's quite a you know he's quite a high energy player. Um, you know when you, when you look at his career and everything, incredible work ethic, up and down, up and down, box to box. It's where he's always been about. So I pick him. I feel like everyone functions around him. If he's on it and he raises his game level, and especially in a final as well, which he's been in many of many games like this, he's going to be the person that you look to the most to to really drive them on. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. I mean, there's that there's that pivot, isn't there? You know that we saw in that second leg against Juventus of Fernando and Rakitic. Yeah, between them, it's like we've seen everything you've ever done before. <laughs> we, we we know exactly what's coming at us. We know exactly what's going to happen here. All we're going to do is win the ball back, get the ball into the final third, and let the front three have yeah. a go at you. And then when you get to that front four, and you're talking, you know, the the talents of a Campos of, of Oliver Torres, who is a player that. Is very much beloved here on, on Ranks FC for a long time. Brian Hill seems to have, you know, started again and, and the series seems to be back. And then you're bringing Lamella, Papu off the bench. It's suddenly like, oh, wow, Suso. These are these are players. Game changes. Like, this yeah. is it. You've got six yeah. players there can play across the front, you know, the front of the three behind the striker who are all capable of making things happen on their own. So if the shield is there, then everything seems to be kicking back off it. Absolutely. Look, it, they are frustrating. You know, Lamella, Campos, Papu, these guys are frustrating. Of course they are. You know, they might, might try and beat an extra man. You're like, oh, don't give it away there in the final third. <laughs> a, a, and the tackle break down and you're like, oh, I get them off. But every now and then they can just pluck something out of nowhere. As frustrating as they are, you know, Lamella and Campos especially, just something, they're the epitome of frustrating players. But they can just get you that extra something out of nowhere on a counter-attack or even a loose ball, a little bit of skill and and they're in. Yeah. Uh, how has how Mendilibar negotiated this um, defensive injury crisis uh, in a way that the, the other managers simply have not? Um, because, okay, there's been... They've got a little bit healthier, mm-hmm. but not that much, have they? Like, it's still been a bit of a disaster and, and they've been without centre-backs all season long, whoever the manager has been. It's not because of injuries, it's because they don't have any centre-backs. <laughs> no, they're all injured, man. Well, half of them are injured anyway. Mark Howe has just not even played, really. But um, yeah. yeah, you end up with Nemanja Goodell, a, a centre-back half the time, Fernando dropping in as well. What has Mendilibar done to make this actually finally not a complete car crash? Safety first. Like genuinely, do, again, going back to that, just do the mm. basics, be safe, nothing wild and nothing crazy. Sam Pauli was, 
you know, he was hell bent as a lot of managers are on playing out the back and in, in, in doing something like that. But Sevilla have no problem getting those balls into their fullbacks and just lifting one forward, bypassing midfield and just getting it straight into your forward line. They've got no problem doing that at all. And could have you know could have them in good stead against Roma as well if they you know that they're, they're not looking to have a 15 20 pass move put together they, they're not bothered about that they're happy to get into the wide areas into those attacking players we just mentioned and allowing them to do something um my big concern just while we're on the defense is the fact that Acuna is going to miss this and Acuna is such a big big part um of, of this team and the fact that he's going to miss it through uh, having two yellow card the yellow cards sorry you know that's really really going to hurt them so it'll be interesting to see I mean I think Alex Tejas, you know, re- remembered so fondly as a legend at Man United, you know, of course, for all, <laughs> all his efforts there, <laughs> is in the Europa League final, and it's going to be down to him. But hopefully, as Acuna, and the turning corner for Acuna was just giving him a bit more license in attack. And, you know, be aware of your defensive duties, support your fullback, of course, but, you know, we want to see you on the attack, and hopefully that's where Tejas can, can excel if he focuses on that part of his game, which is which has always been his strong point and not the defender. Acuna sending off was the most Marcus Acuna thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And you know when the referee's having second thoughts about it, he's booked him. I think it was, it was either back chat on time-wasting at the time. I can't remember which of the two it was off the top of my head. One of them was one, one was the other. And it, got, it took the yellow card out, booked him, and all, and all the UVA players were like, you've already booked him. He's like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have done that if I'd realised I'd already booked him. And, and it's the moment you're like, Oh no, he's out for the final. And we were talking yeah. about this with all of the semi-finals from all of the games in the Europa League, in the Conference League, in the Champions League. You get into that last five minutes, you're like, you're, you're in control. Just don't get sent off. Just don't get sent off. Obviously, Acuna <laughs> got sent off. And I was like, right, well, <laughs> at, least it, at least it's on brand, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Exactly. I, I, I respect that. It was, I think it's probably the most Argentinian defender thing you could possibly ask for. And he, he went and did it. So there you go. That's exactly what you want to say. Right. And that <laughs> takes us nicely on to number one, shall we? Ah, uh, number one, and we touched on this right at the start. Come on, it's, it's their competition. It's as simple as that. <laughs> this, is, this is where they come alive. I know it's a very easy one, but it is. There's a di- you know, there's a different feeling about them when they're in this competition, um, and, and you can see them all rise to it every year. And there's a the aura about them, I think, you know, and, and I think it'll carry them so so much. They go in with a bit of confidence there, and looking at the previous teams who've done it, and looking at the previous situations as well of other teams, um, of the other severe sides, might have not been, you know, um brilliant in the league might not be you know fighting right at the top in the league um but when it comes to the Europa it's it's different everything goes and they have a feeling it's their competition and hopefully for them it doesn't fall the way of uh what happened with Real Madrid in the Champions League you know I know they thought the Champions League was their competition so mm. hopefully it's not a, a you know a, a double blow for, for Spanish sides I was going to say, isn't it? It does feel like where Real Madrid have that sway in, in the Champions League the Europa League is, is Sevilla's exactly. domain I mean there's the other kind of big bonus here is that they were having such a bad season and and if they win this and they get into the Champions League they're going to be looking down again at their neighbours down the road and it's just one of those so you're going how has this happened you look at the league table and the idea of Sevilla being back in the Champions League next season is like the kind of thing you're like Oh no! But equally, yeah. next season's Champions League, there's no dropping down to the Europa, so they can't even they can't take the uh, the easy route anymore. Precisely, precisely. And I tell you what, I compare the current Sevilla season to as well is if you look at Villarreal in that season, they won the Europa League under Emery. Their league form completely went out the window. They they were doing well at the start of the season, and then it just went off a cliff. And they gradually just kept falling and falling down the league. And you can clearly see they'd sacked the league off entirely. They're like, right, no, we need to. We need to get this trophy, little Villarreal, you know, we need to get this trophy there to show for all our good work we've done. And I think Sevilla will look at that as well and just say, like, look, 
don't let the league form our position there the battles we've been in there affect us too much this is completely clean slate you know if if we win this it's been a massive successful season once again Mm, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, look, I think it's one of those. It's very similar to where West Ham are, right? In their in their season, in that they were battling relegation for long periods of it, and then suddenly it, the clouds have kind of parted, and you're like, oh, really? European final? That's good. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's, that's it's, of fun. it's trophies at the end of the day. Look, like people deride different trophies, your your conference leagues, your your league cups, and things like that. But at the end of the day, football fans, you want to see your team lift a trophy, and and that's yeah. what's about at the end of the day. It doesn't matter what it is, you want to see them lift a trophy. Otherwise. What's the point? What do you want to see them for? I think it's really interesting this because Jose Mourinho, six European finals, six wins. Sevilla never got past the quarterfinals of Europa League without winning it. It feels very irresistible force meets immovable object. Some Something <laughs> has to give. And I have absolutely no idea what it is. Yeah, no, exactly the same, really. Honestly, it's it's intriguing on that level. I think the styles of the two teams, as we pointed out, but but also, as you say, some, something does have to give. It will have to give. So it'll be interesting to see which way it goes. And, you know, even even though Betis are my boys, I, I want to see I want to see Sevilla lift it. I really do. I, I'd really, really love them to lift it. I mean, it's a, I imagine in a, in a year that's been quite dour for Spanish football, uh, it, yeah. it would be something that, that people can cling on to. Um, but indeed, indeed. Right, David, thank you so much for coming on. Just let the listeners know where they can find you. Yeah, of course. Just Twitter. Uh, I don't tweet too much these days, but I do every now and then. So it's David Jacker, J-A-C-A. So if you want to follow, please, by all means. Absolutely. David, thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure having you on Ranks and we'll see you very shortly. Thanks for having me, guys. Welcome back to Ranks FC and thank you so much to both David and John for their insights there. Very, very intriguing to hear things keyed in from a more kind of club specific perspective. Um, we are going to now take a little peek at how we think this one's going to play out, Sam. So maybe we just take a look at what we expect the teams to look like and then maybe examine a couple of the key battles. Yeah, tricky one because we're recording this end of the week, you know, ahead of a weekend of fixtures for both teams. Uh, no doubt about it. Both of these teams are going to have this final on their minds. Um, and unlike in the Premier League and a couple of other leagues, this is not the end of the season for Sevilla or Roma. It's smack bang in the middle of the final weekends of the season. It's not the last game that they will play, which jars with me a little bit timing-wise, I've got to say. Um, Conference League final, Champions League final coming after the end of the season. I'm not quite sure why we're in this situation, but it is what it is. And for Sevilla... Injuries allowing or permitting, et cetera, et cetera. So for Sevilla, it kind of feels like Mendilibar has settled on nine players that he definitely wants to play. And then he kind of figures the other two out later. Um, he's been in the job a couple of months now and he's really he's really steadied the ship, as David sort of explained to us. And, and, and that's that's involved, well, a new goalkeeper, which I didn't expect. Dimitrovic stepping in between the sticks. And it's involved Nemanja Goodell moving full-time to centre-back. We've seen the legend, Jesus Navas, at right back a fair bit. Lamella is playing a role. I mean, he's got all these attacking midfielders that he can he can move in and, and, and out. And Brian Hill on loan from Tottenham has been a really important part of this. Yusuf Endesiri has finally picked up in the league. What a World Cup he had, but what a terrible first half of the campaign he had. And Rakitic and Fernando, the old heads in midfield, as alluded to. Combined age of 70, by the way. Just quickly look that up in the break. Impressive stuff. They know they know a thing or two about finals, don't they? Rakitic and Fernando. And you're expecting a roughly 4-2-3-1 with maybe Oli Torres 
in the attacking midfield position. And Alex Tellez is going to have to play left back, isn't he? Because as David said, Acuna's kind of blown it. Yeah, the most Acuna moment of all time. Fantastic stuff. Everyone's enjoying themselves. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, it's it's a very settled team, as you say. Yes, there are a couple of changes. I don't think it's going to affect how Sevilla have been playing. They, It's one of those strange ones in that they've really raised their game for big occasions. Um, we saw them in, in the Europa League, you know, start to play much more aggressively. Uh, we're expecting direct from Mendy Libal when he came in, right? But mm. I think to actually suggest how they've played in the Europa League compared to how we've seen them sort of approach games in La Liga, I, I think they know that Europe is out of sight in that regard, right? Then they're, they're not going to be able to catch Betis in in sixth, seventh, and, and not sooner a point behind them. So I, I'd be very surprised if Sevilla are that focused, you know, that focus now on, on trying to what grab the grab seventh. Europa no, it's just about avoiding spot. injuries, isn't it? Really. So I, I think what we're seeing, you know, in the last couple of games, those two draws that have have been the last two games as as we record this like against Elche and and then the kind of nil nil against Betis in the derby, which was a bit of a non-starter, which is a really really rare thing, I think, for. Mm. And El Gran Derby. I mean, obviously, there have been red cards in pretty much all the games because this is La Liga. But, you know, we, we've seen them more and more start to, to look at these games and think, OK, how, how is it going to play out? And Sevilla had to play 70 minutes of their game against LJ with 10 men. That is not ideal no. when you're trying to load up for a final, um, you know. And, and when you're kind of looking at how the, the changes have been made, we've seen a bit of Rekic as centre-back. We've seen Tellers playing more at left back with Acuna ahead of him, you know, in order to try and I think probably just rotate a little bit and also get Tellez used to this team. So the amount of changes we see at the weekend, I think would be, would be really interesting. Obviously you're listening to this in, in hindsight, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Rafa Mir start. I wouldn't be surprised to see Jesus Corona start. I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of the youngsters get in Gonzalo Montiel to start a right back, for example, just to give themselves a little bit yeah of a breather before this on, on, on Wednesday. One thing before we move on to Roma, did you know that, and uh, most of the listeners won't know this because it's pretty specific knowledge, but you may not know either, Mendilibar coached three of the Sevilla players at Abar. So it really shouldn't surprise us that Brian Hill has played such an important part despite being you know so young and having to batter out you know Lamella and Papu Gomez and all these guys in the attacking midfield band. And I think if Joan Jordan had been fit, he would have been playing constantly as well. And that probably would have pushed Rakitic up a little bit higher and maybe been bad news for Oli Torres. But Joan Jordan has had an Achilles problem for the last couple of months and hasn't really been able to factor. Dimitrovic is the third player hmm. to have experience with Mendilibar. So the fact that he stepped in in goal, I mean, it's a big move, isn't it, to change your goalkeeper, particularly when your starter is Bono, who had a really good World Cup again. And his generally regarded as one of the better goalkeepers in La Liga. I appreciate he hadn't had the strongest season. Literally none of them had been any good, to be fair. They'd He's been just in a bit of a nut so. job. That's the thing with Bono. <laughs> I like him loads, but he, he is just a bit mad. Mm. So basically, decisions. you know, as David sort of, sort of talked about, it's um, it's been safety first for Mendilabar at Sevilla. And that has not just meant playing into the channels, playing a bit more direct, not building up as slowly or as more, as riskily. It's also meant turning to a goalkeeper he has first-hand experience with and making a change between the sticks. So Marko Dimitrovic living a second life out of nowhere. It's been a it's been a fun story. 
Mm, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Let's go over to Roma then, because injury issues haven't abated, as John pointed out, but they are eased a tad, I would say. Well, they hope so. Yeah. I mean, I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens. I mean, how much of this is smoke and mirrors? How much of this is true? How fit is Paolo Dybala? And what kind of role can he play in this game? Even John doesn't know as we speak today. I don't think he'll start. I, I, I think it would be absolutely mad if, if Dybala started this game. Now, we've seen Mourinho pull a fast one before, but yeah. he's saying I mean, he's, he, not tra- he risk- he's not training with them at the moment. <laughs> so he like, okay, cool. Italian, didn't he, uh, last year for the final and came off after 20 minutes. So he has he has done this kind of thing before. But if I'm Mourinho here, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm saving Dybala's last 30 last I'm saving his magic for the last 30 minutes or maybe for extra time if it gets there because I have other options don't I you know I, I have I have Pellegrini in the attacking band I have Stefan El Shirawi who can yeah, he's play playing beautifully well at the moment yeah yeah absolutely you know he has gone to a front two at times and that can that can work as well it could like we're going to have another discussion here about Tammy or Bellotti why not both <laughs> to a to a degree if you can't get Dybala into the team as a starter and maybe you want to play El Shirari as wingback. There's room for Tammy and Bellotti. It would upset me, but there is a case for it. Or, and that's, that, that would include three in midfield, where I expect Cristante to return because Smalling is back into the defence. Matic will, of course, join him. And then if Eduardo, Eduardo Bove gets left out, I, he'd have every right to be really upset about that because he's played a pretty important role in getting Roma to this point. He scored the Including, decisive goal in the semi-final. Exactly. So, and, and, but my instinct tells me that Bove, despite having a very good end of the season and playing an important role, as a youngster, I think my instinct tells me he misses out because there are players like Vinaldum trying to get in this team. Mm. And like, you're in a cup final. Who are you going to turn to? I personally would turn to Gini Vinaldum. Yeah, I mean, he made some interesting comments this week, Mourinho, and where he said, "I, you know, this is for the Roma fans. I want players who are Roma fans to be in the team." You know, he's talking mm. about Pellegrini, he's talking about yeah, Bove. But mate, I, sorry, but last year, last year he made a massive deal about Marash Kumbula returning to Albania in for a final. You know, and he he got one minute off the bench. <laughs> like so I'm telling you, how much is smoke and mirrors? You can't trust a word the man says. No, 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 I know. I know there's, there's so much of it. I mean, the El Sharawi question is interesting. Now we've kind of laid out what we think the teams vaguely look like. Does El Sharawi start a right wing back, especially considering that we know that Acuna is out? Hmm. Because if I'm Mourinho, I'm thinking attack Alex Tellers. Like attack, get down that wing. And, and El Sharawi's been brilliant. I mean, I know he's played on both sides. I know he's played in various positions, but he just has... Once again, you know, he's like he's like Adrian Rabio. He's like the reincarnated footballer. He keeps coming back. So you're like, hang on, how is he scoring goals again? He's he's come from nowhere. But yeah, it, it's been it's been a good season for El Sharawi, and and I'm delighted to see him doing well again. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. It's always useful, isn't it, to have a player that can play like four or five different positions, and and, and the manager trusts him. You know, he can do a job. Um, I didn't really expect to see El Sharawi turn into this kind of player. I don't think anybody did really back when he was uh, the pharaoh. At- AC Milan, but he has really changed his game to stay in and amongst it. Um, and he's he's someone that you can count on. So, I mean, yeah, if I was Roma, I would also be looking at basically at Alex Tellez. I would be looking to attack that area. And then defensively, Mourinho is going to know that Sevilla are going to want to get the ball into the box and they're going to want to 
try and aim for in the series where possible, you know, just try and use that big noggin of his. Now, Roma are very well equipped to deal with this, I would argue, right? On paper, mm. they have three centre-backs that defend the box very, very well. Smalling is a commander in the centre and Ibanez has quite the leap. Mancini is a nutter as well and will just relish, absolutely relish physical duels and battles. So Sevilla's sort of more rough and tumble approach doesn't necessarily work. Yeah. So we go back to what David said and about Ivan Rakitic, and you wonder if Ray, maybe he is the key to unlocking this because Roma, as we've as we've talked about through this process, have really started to shut up shop and keep things tight. It is not going to be easy to score against this team, so it will take a bit of magic from midfield, I think, if and the series is well marshaled by the back three, which I would expect. And maybe it's you know maybe it's a scissor kick from Ocampos in the seventieth minute or something. You know, it, we're talking about. I think the goal, if Sevilla get one, is of this ilk, genuinely. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I mean, look, it has to be special. We spoke about that with, with David that mm-hmm. and John. The the fact that Mourinho doesn't concede goals in cup finals. This mm-hmm. just doesn't happen, especially in European Cup finals. So it does take a bit of magic because you can't imagine it's going to be a mistake, is probably how I would put it. And and with the kind of numbers in that defensive line, I, I do wonder how Sevilla break that down, especially if they do go you know, you have Nemanja Matic patrolling in front of this back three that's that's a very very difficult diamond with a star if you will to to break down from from a severe perspective it is and it's also extremely tall you know it's it's not weak from set pieces it's not weak from aerial stuff it's it's difficult to play through even spin at is a big man you know despite the fact that he glides and moves uh, if he's fit i don't know again another injury question mark for roma to battle uh, heading into this game, but it's a big team. It's really hard to get the better of. Yeah, is it t- is it time for predictions? It's probably probably time for predictions. So you go first. I've got something in mind, but you go first. I'll see if I want to change my mind off the back of it. I think Roma win this final one nil. Oh, I agree. I, I agree. I'm letting I'm letting my Mourinho in finals. Yeah. hat go on top of my Sevilla win the Europa League hat because someone has to break. Something has to break here, right? So they can't both win the trophy. So we know that one of these two records is going to split. And people will be here saying, you're backing someone to beat Sevilla in the Europa League final. And I know it sounds mad, but mm. equally going the other way would suggest beating Jose Mourinho in a European final. So one of the two is going to be mad. Uh, I'm going to back the Mourinho madness to win again. Yeah, I mean, I'm feeling the exact same way. And I feel like... It's 1-0. It's a sort of 70 to 75-minute goal, possibly from Dybala off the bench or or El Shirawi steps up with a really key moment. Like, I, I don't think the strikers are going to score. I think it's going to be super tight. But I feel like I've said this before. I, like, I've got, I've got memories right now of me, like, genuinely certain that Inter Milan would beat Sevilla in the final a couple of years back. Yeah. The, Inter, the great Inter Milan team with Romelu Lukaku in his absolute peak form, Barella peak form. And they still lost. <laughs> so yeah. um, maybe I'll just, I'll just take the other side of the argument just for nice balance. And I'll take Sevilla 1-0. But yeah. uh, my heart's not really in that. But at least this way, one of us is right. I can't see. I can't see. <laughs> I can't see this being a high scorer. <laughs> Let's put it that way. No. Um, but I do think it's going to be a very, very interesting game of cat and mouse. And with that, I think it's probably time for us to call this a day. Thank you so much to our special guests, David Cartledge and John Solano. Thank you so much to the rank officer, Sam Tsai. Cheers, buddy. I've been Jack Collins, Nave of Hearts. This has been Ranks FC with your Europa League final preview. Thank you so much for tuning in as ever. And we will see you 
later in the week. Take it easy, gang. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system, or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.